Hi, welcome back to The VergeCast, a podcast from vergenow.org, a resource for creative and innovative ministry leaders. I'm Lisa Smith, the pastor and artistic director of Convergence, a creative community of faith in Alexandria, Virginia. Today's episode is being recorded live at Convergence with our study group for Gather 2019 and features Dr. Elise Edwards, assistant professor at Baylor University. So this has been a full day of processing all of our thoughts and questions as we've listened to the podcast over the last month and read the How We Gather reports and the Art of Gathering. And uh, in the coming weeks, we'll be documenting the themes that have arisen for us, as well as our, our takeaways and new questions for sharing so that you can do your own reflection in your context. But for now, let's get into some nitty gritty about how to actually convene and navigate some of the deeper and more difficult conversations in church by talking with Elise, whose fields of study include Christian ethics, theology, and the arts and um, architectural theory. Yeah, so okay, we are doing our very first live podcast. So hello, live audience. Hey, Yay. welcome. We're doing this live podcast as a part of our second gather study group where we're processing the how we gather reports and the art of gathering, but also all the podcasts that we've recorded. And so we've gotten together today to, um, to talk about those things and kind of tease out the the themes and the questions and that kind of stuff. And we are really lucky to have with us as part of this conversation today, um, my friend Elise Edwards, Dr. Elise Edwards, who is the assistant professor at um, Baylor University and also a really good friend. So thank you for being with us today, Elise. Thank you for having me back. It's wonderful to be at Convergence. It, it always feels like home for me in a spiritual sense. And so to be able to feel like I'm um, still a part of this community and contributing to this community is something that enriches my life. So thank you for for having me here. Hopefully I can uh, be of some use in this grant <laughs> project. Yes, <laughs> I mean, you've been a part of this project since the very, 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 very beginning. We were in seminary together um, and fellow artists together yes. and uh, a part of sort of discerning how does our art life and our faith life and our ministry life, how do all of those things work together? Right. We were actually talking yesterday about <laughs> where did an idea come from? Was right. it something that one of us said or was it something that Convergence did that then transformed the way we were thinking or right. was it the way we were thinking that transformed the way Convergence was? So you've been uh, a heart partner in this from the very beginning and also um, because of your background as an architect as well and about creating spaces helped us when we first came into this building to think through how could we shape the space so that it would shape us in the future. Yeah, part of my uh, life's work in a way is about helping people understand that architecture isn't just about buildings or just about style or even about function. But architecture is um, a, a tool for how we want to live. Mm. And, and mm -hmm. it, it becomes an expression of ourselves as our individual identities, but certainly 
since many buildings are built by institutions and corporations, they, they become visible signs of our group identity. And I was really delighted to be a part of Convergence at a time where I could use those skills here to help us figure out what it meant to be a church for artists, a church that embraced the intersections of art and faith, and to be able to create spaces um, or reshape spaces so that, that we would have the physical spaces to do that. You know, it's interesting that my, my work in architecture led me to Christian ethics, um, because Christian ethics is all about questions of how we live, um, how we broadly understood, but more specifically, we as Christians should live in ways that are consistent with the teachings of the Christian faith. And we know there are many answers to that, and, and so Christian ethicists don't agree on much of anything, uh, which is really exciting uh, for me that I get to be one of these people having <laughs> conversations about this. But uh, to me, architecture and ethics, it's all about our decisions and our choices about living in intentional ways. Yeah, so two things. First of all, just in our specific space, being in a building built in the 1950s, uh, and when we came into it, there are, our foyer space in particular had these beautiful windows, but it was had dark carpeting and lots of dying plants and you know old pews that just didn't have anywhere else to go. Right, and a weird brass uh, candelabra yes. on the wall that and ended up in mirror. my friend's house. Right, the, the mirror, like, weird reflective yeah. dark mirror. Yeah, <laughs> it was very dated space. Uh, yeah, very seventies. Really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so so that was telling a particular story, and we were coming in. We were restarts. So we were coming into a congregation that was primarily '70s and older, with this vision to be an artistic community and uh, to welcome a, a whole, a, a much broader spectrum of people. And we didn't have any of those people there at the time, or even any of the artwork to express that. And so creating by sort of renovating that space in very, it was paint, you know, right, it was right. ripping stuff out, paint and some new furniture created, I, I am really, this is an important story for us, the, right. how that kind of um, attention to our built environment and how you could change that worked to shape us as a community. So our, our space was demanding that we grow in a certain direction even before we had any resources to do so. Right. Um, or so, so at a time when somebody walking in, the only thing they would see about our vision was our space. Right. Well, I, I think it's really important for churches, uh, not, not any particular church in, 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 for a specific mission, but all churches, uh, yeah. to have a space and a design that reflects who they are. Yeah. Uh, it drives me crazy when I go into churches that say they're so forward thinking and they have lace doilies on <laughs> on things. I mean, I, I just, I'm like, that's not, that's traditional. Are you a traditional church? Then be a traditional church. Right, right. Are you a forward thinking contemporary church? Then your aesthetics should match that. And so right. here we had a sense of vision of what Convergence was growing into. And yeah. so it was about making the space that anticipates that future, that anticipates that possibility. And architecture is about creating the spaces that allow 
our our functions to take place. And and in my work in particular, I I, I talk about allowing flourishing to mm, take place. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just about existing or being, but it's about us becoming who we should be. Yeah. In in the spaces that we we inhabit and live. Yeah. And so for convergence, that was if we're going to be a space for artists to be who they should be. We need a space that celebrates that from the outset. And the most obvious way of doing that was creating a gallery. Yeah. So saying if we value artists, then we need a place to display their work. Yeah, yeah. Well, this leads me into the the big question that we'll be talking about because I, I'm thinking our sanctuary space doesn't necessarily, we didn't make, we haven't made a whole right. lot of changes in right. there. But I do have your drawings yeah. that you made at the same time for that hanging up in the office. So even that vision of what's possible right. um, has always had this sense of like we're building towards something. Right. And as we're in this process of kind of reimagining and opening ourselves up to where where are we headed next, specifically with worship, but as a community in general, um, our physical space, in particular the sanctuary, will come into play of how do we use that uh, to, to meet the needs that we feel called to meet. Um, but also, it's not just the physical space. Right. A lot of what we're talking about is creating space um, where a church can be conveners of conversations right. that are hard to have. And hard to have anywhere else because some of the things that we've heard in in other podcasts uh, uh, with young people they're moving away from church because the conversations that they need to have are um, shut down in church uh somebody was talking you know how do how do i be in this space and love the people that i love when that comes into conflict with certain values of belief systems that kind of stuff i mean when we're talking about environment, it's not necessarily just built space. Absolutely. There's an ethical yeah. component. How, how can we go about thinking that? Maybe it translates in the same kinds of ways to create spaces that are safe in the sense that they are, they're structured well. Yeah, this is where my, um, my knowledge and my experience really has grown over the past uh, decade. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a Christian ethicist. I, I'm a professor, assistant professor at a university. And in the past um, six, seven years, I've been teaching full-time. I've been teaching undergraduate students uh, who are millennials or, or the next <laughs> generation, yeah. right? Um, and in Christian ethics, it's my classes aren't about teaching people um, to be or act in a particular way uh, condoned by the church or expressed by the church, but it's about helping people reflect on their lives and on contemporary issues that are polarizing mm-hmm. and teaching them how to have those conversations and to think deeply and and to allow um, in a university context to allow them to come to their their own conclusions informed by thought, of other well-respected people and sources within the Christian tradition, with the Bible, but also with science, with um, with art, <laughs> with all sorts of human mm-hmm. knowledge that we find useful. Uh, this is the, the great benefit, I think, of a liberal arts education, mm-hmm. right, that you learned how to think broadly and deeply. And I see my classroom as a place where 
students get to experiment almost like a laboratory with mm. trying on different ideas. And, and I, the ironic thing is that I tell my students, uh, in this classroom, uh, I'm really not invested in how personally you come to believe or, or what specifically you come to believe. I'm not grading you on that. Um, you know, I have my points of view. No one becomes an ethicist because we're neutral <laughs> on everything, right? I have a particular commitment to justice that shows up in all sorts of uh, feminist ways and liberationist ways. So, I mean, it's not that I'm neutral on any issue that we, we teach. And yet, I allow them to think differently than, mm -hmm. than I do, right? However, I, I say part of the task of what we do <laughs> is beginning to explain how it is we come to believe what we believe, mm -hmm. and also being willing to understand points of view that are opposing to our own. So, I mean, I think I, I, one of the, the fundamental um, things I've learned is that you need to spend the time to create the environment in which that type of inquiry and exploration is encouraged. And I'm learning more and more, you need to allow conflict to occur. Right. So that, so that takes us into the nitty gritty, because exactly right. what you're talking about, what I, I think this is the challenge for us as a church or for churches in general, is how do we have a very specific particular viewpoint or viewpoints and make room and space for others to work that out. Right. So how how do you and that's what you're describing like you have mm -hmm. your own perspective but you're you're wanting your class to figure these things out together. So what's what how do you create that environment? I think we have to start with being honest and and this means being honest as a church, right? About the differences that exist even within a particular congregation. Uh, even within a particular denomination, right? Right. There are differences in point of view and that we sometimes assume we're all on the same page or that if we are not all on the same page, that's a big problem. Right. I would argue that that assumption itself is false. That it's a problem. That that doesn't recognize the complexity of the human condition mm -hmm. and that each of us, regardless of whether we're part of the same church or denomination, uh, each of us is coming to our points of view from our unique life experiences. So we're coming from different races, hopefully, in our churches, mm -hmm. we're coming from different races and classes and ethnicities and different geographical regions, different religious upbringings, different experiences within those religious communities mm -hmm. that may have been the same. Um, and so while there are certainly similarities, there are we're, we're all coming to reflect on these issues that we see as divisive and polarizing from, um, from our unique perspectives. Mm -hmm. We've been informed by our life experience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think uh, those of us who are not millennials <laughs> assume that millennials and younger people uh, don't have enough life experience to speak knowledgeably mm. about things. Um, and yet they've often gone through more than we give credit hmm. for, mm -hmm. credit, credit to them for. Yeah. Um, and, and even if they haven't gone through all we've gone through, uh, having, you know, double or triple or quadruple the life experience Whatever. that they do, <laughs> their life experience has taught them and shaped them into who they are yeah. in the present. And so we have to acknowledge that that difference exists. And as churches stop pretending that there is a single narrative, 
Right. I teach Christian um, Christian a course called the Christian Heritage. And if we look at at Christian history, there's never been a time right. when the church agrees on everything, right? right. right? I, I I suppose we could say we agree that Jesus is central, <laughs> and that Jesus is is key to salvation. Mm. But even what we mean by that, is, right? Is, Once yeah. we get into the the doctrines, that's where we find controversies emerging. And clarification, which is what now we see as doctrine, yeah. emerging out of those controversies. So this is a key point I think often gets lost, that doctrines are not handed to us as information, mm -hmm. right? As, as data that's given to us um, as just a complete package. Doctrines are answers to the questions people right. have been asking from the beginning. Right. And we teach the answers without ever addressing the questions, the question. yeah. right? So a question like uh, sin, uh, I mean, an answer that we give as to what sin is, is the answer to a question that many of us, uh, we've been asking in this series, what's mm. wrong? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Why is it that we want to be something and we, we find it so difficult to be that? Yeah. Right? Or what's wrong with the human condition? If God created a world that is good and we believe that, what's happened? Right. And then how do we get that back? Right, right. This, to me, is the story that sin and salvation tries to answer. Mm -hmm. Right? What, what is our human condition? Um, and so we have doctrines in Christianity. We have a doctrine of creation that talks about God creating the world out of love. And I think, uh, or out of love and intention, mm -hmm. right? And, and we ask the wrong kinds of questions about that. What was it in six days? Or was it, mm -hmm. you know, which came mm -hmm. first? And the story isn't the answer to that question, right? right? The story is the answer of why there is a world, right. not how there is a world, right? right? And so we have this doctrine of creation, and then we have a doctrine of humanity, right? What does it mean to be human? And in Christianity, we talk about the image of God, that we are each of us created, man and women, all genders, mm -hmm. right? All sexes created with this image of God in us. And so then we, we have, well, if we have this image of God and, and something that makes us like God, why do we do such terrible things to each other? And we get into these questions of sin. I think that the church has reduced sin to moral wrongs against mm -hmm. each other. And, and that's such an impoverished view mm -hmm. of what sin is. And it's not the, the view that the, the Bible gives us, where where the Bible gives us so much more yeah. than, than the narrative of sin is the, the bad stuff we do to each other. Yeah. Sin is our very condition of wanting to be more and not being able to be what we think we should be yeah. or could be or even want to be, right? Yeah. Sin is an experience of human brokenness and fragmentation and alienation. And I think millennials have those kinds of questions, mm -hmm. right? Why am I feeling this way? What do I do about this? Yeah. And that's not a new question at all. Christians have been asking that since the very beginning. And, and the religious traditions from which Christianity emerged from mm -hmm. have been asking that. And the philosophical Christ traditions that Christianity drew upon yeah. asked that as well. Right? So we're asking these questions, um, and doctrines are our attempt to answer that. Right? And so to go back to your original question, right? How do, how do we 
we begin to set this environment, I think the first thing we have to do as Christians is get real and honest about it and mm. say, you, we have answers here that as a church we teach, um, but these are answers to existential questions. Mm -hmm. uh, we as a community find resonance with these answers, which is why we pass these answers on from generation to generation. Right. But we do so with humility. Hopefully, we actually have this <laughs> humility, right? We do so with humility and with a sense of mystery yeah. that what we believe the divine is is so much bigger than what we see in this world and that what we even believe is revealed to us, Yeah, right? The truth of the world is so much bigger than what's in our knowledge. And so we pass down these traditions and these answers, these doctrines that are our best guess to figure it out. And guess what? We still work on these doctrines. This is what professional theologians do, mm -hmm. right? Um, this is what I as an ethicist do. I try to answer contemporary issues with these sources and, and these Christian sources and new forms of knowledge, right? We're still trying to figure things out. But we do that with humility. And, mm -hmm. and I think as a church, we can say these are the answers we've come to. But there are churches that have different answers yeah. for good reasons. Yeah, yeah. This is what we believe. We invite you to be in conversation with us. And, and I wish we would have more real dialogue between churches and between mm. Christians who disagree and between Christians and other religious traditions, honoring what is special and unique and, and uh, delightful in those traditions, but not um, without seeing them as um, as challenges as to us, yeah. yeah, as threats to us. Well, so, I mean, I think you've done a really excellent job of, of illustrating this principle of opening up the complexity of the question. So so some of those principles are, are first of all, asking good questions right. and making space for the questions and having the humility to honestly be living into those questions. And then as part of the role of conveners to be about sort of stirring up the, com and, instead of trying to rush to the answer, stirring up and showing the complexity of right. the question and what those questions really are. Are there other um, things like that? Or, and how are there, even in your classroom, are there things that you do to kind of set up the structure for that kind of conversation to happen, knowing that there would be different perspectives at the table. Yes. So in practical terms, and I think churches could do these as well, um, one is setting up the space, so setting up the environment. Um, so in, um, I, I teach in buildings that have uh, terrible desks. They're student arm desks, those individual desks you mm -hmm. all might remember from mm -hmm. classes you've had where they have the left-handed version or the right-handed uh -huh. version, and there's never enough left-handed right. ones, right? <laughs> and they're always in the back corner or something <laughs> like that, right? Um, I have to rearrange the room very often for my ethics mm. classes uh, to either, uh, typically we sit in a kind of horseshoe shape, mm -hmm. um, oriented with the screen behind me. And this isn't an ideal arrangement, but in, in many of the classrooms I teach, there's a board at the front of the room. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I like to use visuals and, and outlines mm -hmm. um, to keep and, and post the questions we're answering, right, on the mm. board to keep that in front of us. But in a room that has a front, you have to sit in a horseshoe instead of right. a circle so that people can, everyone can see that. Uh, but I'll also arrange desks in pairs sometimes or um, or 
uh, in trios, right, in groups of three or four. So making smaller arrangements Hmm. for face-to-face dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think one of the things we can do in person that we can't do well online yet, right, is have eye contact, right? Mm. And so sometimes I'm not anti-technology at all, right? But sometimes when we're having conversations, I ask people to close their laptops or physically clear their desks um, or put their phones behind them, right? so that they have to look at the person in front of them and and have to see this person. And if it's a particularly intense conversation, sometimes I will ask students to sit in this kind of um, tete-a-tete position, Mm. right, where you're sitting next to each other but facing in opposite directions. Interesting. And it's a very intimate kind of uh, conversation pose, Mm -hmm. and yet you don't have to make the eye contact. It's not confrontational. Yeah, so you can be vulnerable, and and you can speak very low, and the other person can hear you, Mm. but it's not... um, but it's not challenging in, in, yeah. in the kind of way that eye contact some, sometimes mm-hmm. can be. So I think preparing the space is an important part. Um, setting some expectations and ground rules about mm-hmm. what we're trying to do and how we're trying to listen to each other and encouraging people to speak from their own experience mm. instead of speaking for some other group, especially somebody who's not there or right. some, speaking for some institution. Mm-hmm. encouraging them to speak from their hearts, um, which is why I sometimes use contemplative practices. It, there's a whole school of thought uh, or approach to teaching called contemplative pedagogy. Huh. And it's about the same things contemplative spirituality is in a way, huh. about getting at the heart <laughs> uh, and about stripping away distractions, and yeah. about promoting empathy and connection, huh. right? So I, I use silence, I use journaling exercises, um, uh, a form of Lexio Divina, right, yeah. without so much Divina, right, <laughs> uh, but a, a form of like meditative reading, right? Uh-huh. So I'll do various exercises just to quiet the mind a little bit or to mm-hmm. center the mind. Um, so all of that's part of creating the environment, encouraging people to speak from their own experience. But then when dialogue happens, actually encouraging dialogue where people are speaking and listening and where they are not speaking to, our our aim isn't to convince or convert. Right. Our aim is understanding. Right. right? It's a much more modest goal, right? Um, In a way, right? Yeah. Uh, But it's not easy. Yeah. And so um, allowing misunderstandings and allowing different points of view to emerge and for us to sit with those tensions yeah. and, and address those tensions. We don't want to suppress points of view because they're unpalatable or intolerable or um, stupid or something like mm-hmm. that. Because if someone actually has this point of view, we want it out in the open so that right. we can address it, right? Yeah. So that we can not to, I don't know, if somebody uh, says something particularly hateful. I mentioned I have these feminist commitments. If somebody says something um, that I see degrading or demeaning to women, it doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, yes, all views are welcome here, mm-hmm. right? I, I have a, a initial reaction to that. But I have to acknowledge that having that said then allows us to address, address it. Address it, yeah. And, and say why this is problematic and, and hurtful. Yeah. In view of what Christians might believe about the image of God. Yeah. Right. So allowing those conflicts to exist 
um, so that they can be addressed. And then finally, I, I think we always want to move away uh, or move beyond just the dialogue and the discourse into real action and mm. living. This is what ethics is ultimately about, living in particular ways. And so I usually try to, uh, like every professor, I always run out of time in my <laughs> classes, right? Yeah. Uh, but I try to allow some space at the end of class for students to have a sense of invitation. And I think mm -hmm. churches, uh, you know, this, we, we joke about this, right? Baptist churches and the altar call at yeah. the end, right? This idea of come to Jesus, right, right this moment. But I, mm -hmm. I think the idea there of an invitation at the end of a learning experience mm -hmm. is, is powerful, Yeah. right? So it doesn't have to be, do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? But it, it sometimes it's an, it's something as simple as what has, um, what is God inviting you to do or yeah. to be? What's shifting? Yeah, as a response of this discussion about? that we had. Yeah, coming from this dialogue, what is something you sense? Some movement you sense? Yeah, and these are questions we ask in Lexio Divina as well, <laughs> right? I'm not pulling these from my own uh, yeah. imagination. These are coming from traditions that. Christians have used for many years. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so interesting about everything that you're saying. First of all, acknowledging that, I mean, this sounds hard. It yes. really does. Yes. It sounds very hard, especially when you're talking about major hot button kinds of yeah. things. But then that the tools to use are very simple and the freedom that we don't have to arrive and ha it doesn't have to be this let's solve it or answer based. Yeah. But I think especially within a religious context, what we're talking about is is trusting God. You know, we really have to be trusting that God is going to be working in this and and being willing to over long periods of time sit together, listen to one another, listen to God and then be willing to be transformed ourselves. So right. it's almost more about not me trying to transform you into my image of what you need to be thinking, but what does God need to change in me about this situation even if I'm firmly convinced that your perspective is wrong. Right. What in me needs to shift in order for me to be able to live in community with you? Right. Even though we're never going to agree on and this. It's, and it's possible that you may change someone's point of view. Certainly. But you're not going to do that by arguing right. this to them, right? right? You're going to do it by understanding why they feel the way they do, yeah. why you feel the way they do, having you see some... Uh, at least recognition that you're not stupid or foolish or right. mean or just making right. stuff up, right? You're not a cartoon character. Right. You're a real yeah. person. So yeah. it's about acknowledging the humanity in, in each other Yeah, and about yeah. moving uh, from a place of understanding there. And again, there are viewpoints which I think we we find distasteful and, and viewpoints that we find uh, horrible mm -hmm. and that we don't encourage in our churches yeah. and we should actively discourage. Yeah. So I'm not speaking this message of universal toleration, right? right. But I say we have to understand where something is coming from right. before we can begin to address it. Right. And so part of what the work is, it's hard. It is, it is hard, mm -hmm. right? But I, I don't think the New Testament tells us that the Christian walk is yeah. is not without challenge and difficulty. Yeah, right. There's this sense of um, I don't know. I keep coming back to this the, this teaching of where where we lose our life to gain it. 
Yeah. Right? There's a sense that we have to be willing to give up something, right? Whether that's our our, our sense of absolute correctness or mm-hmm. of, of being right or being in control of everything. Uh, and we have to be willing to to do the hard work of walking with Jesus. Yeah. And that 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 feels that that there is a reward there hmm. that makes that hard work worth it. Worth it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe this is my life. I, I have this <laughs> this hard job, but I it's such an awesome responsibility and such a delight when I see the transformation happening in real lives and see people talking to each other and smiling and even intense debates, right? Yeah. Seeing the person before them. There, yeah. There's there's real blessing in, in hard work. Yeah. Um, and anybody who does something difficult that they get a blessing from knows yeah. that experience. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's hard, but I think this is the the hard work of of the church. Yeah. Well, thank you for so much for sharing just a, that little bit of of your perspective. I I know your students are so fortunate to have you as a teacher and a mentor and I have been very fortunate to have you as a friend and Convergence is so fortunate to have you as our theologian not in residence (laughs) (laughs) over such a long period of time um, to reflect with us and to teach us. So thank you so much for taking time just to to share with us and, and give us some things to chew on and instructions for the road. Thank you for having me.